Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river. And really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services and hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's Word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known, that you know how much he truly, truly, truly loves you. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. A while back, I was watching this film, Interstellar. Has anybody seen Interstellar? You need to go see it if you haven't. There's this scene in the movie, I don't want to give away the whole entire film, but there's this scene in the movie where the main character, played by Matthew McConaughey, who people tell me I look a lot alike. <laughs> they don't. Is in a spaceship, and he's considering going to this other planet with a colleague of his. But the challenge on this other planet is that it's so dense, the gravity is so great, that time goes slower on this planet. Now, without trying to spoil the film, they do go down to this planet. And they're concerned because they don't want to be there very long. It's some crazy ratio, like every hour is a multiple years. But they go down to this planet. And spoiler alert, if you don't want to hear it, just kind of plug your ears. They go down to this planet, because some people have their ears plugged, and they do get trapped for a little bit. They get trapped on this, this planet where, where gravity and time goes really, really slow. And they come back up to their spaceship. You can take your ears up. Actually, maybe not. <laughs> they come back up to the spaceship, and the guy that they left behind in the ship emerges from this little machine that they have that sort of like preserves you for a long period of time. It's some like water vacuum thing that you can sit in, and it like just makes it so you don't age. So he comes out and emerges, and he's like an old man. And they realize that as they've been on this other planet, time in the spaceship, Earth time, has flown by. So I'm watching this film, and all of a sudden, like, all this angst wells up in me. I have, like, this existential crisis. I'm watching, and all of a sudden, I freak I'm like, oh, the same feeling I had when I watched this movie, Benjamin Button. Don't see it. It's terrible. <laughs> this sense of time, like, slipping through my fingers and having, like, no control, no ability to, like, pause it or slow it down. And it's just, like, falling through. The rest of the film is, is Matthew McConaughey. I forget what his name is in the film. It's his journey trying to get back to his family to see his daughter, and he recognizes and realizes all this time has passed, and he missed it. Time literally slipped through his fingers, and he missed out on it. There's this really interesting phrase in our culture today. It's called FOMO. Anybody here heard of FOMO? FOMO is the fear 
of missing out. It's the fear of missing out. It's being produced all around in our culture. As kids sit on telephones and look at Instagram and see their friends at Disneyland, they're like, hey, my friends are at Disneyland. I'm not at Disneyland. I'm missing out. My friends are having a party. They're hanging out, and I didn't get to go. They're at the river, and I didn't get to do it. And it produces in us an anxiety about what we're missing. I realize that I have like this deep FOMO, this anxiety that gets created as I consider and wonder about time slipping through my fingers. How how do we approach time in such a way that allows us to acknowledge the holiness and the wonder of every moment? We have, as a culture, this really, really unique and interesting relationship with time. Consider some of the phrases, and as you're listening, I'm would encourage you to maybe think of the, your own phrases regarding time. Did anybody utter this this morning? Hurry up, we're going to be late. Let's be honest. Yeah, come on, Lenny. Hurry up, we're going to be late. We're constantly trying to save time. We buy gadgets and gizmos that'll help us with like seconds. I do this all the time in Redlands, try to find like the best route. I live a mile and a half away, and I go, what's faster, to take Highland to Cajon or Highland to Center? What's quicker? I race my wife, but we're constantly racing against time. We can talk about time as something being a waste of time. We throw it away. I stopped doing this because it was a waste. We have something now called real time. That's when you see something live, as opposed to not real time, which is something that happened a bit ago. Time is really complicated. Time creates a lot of angst in us. And so if we're going to talk about recreation, this idea of being refreshed and renewed, we have to this morning stop. And take a look at this odd relationship we have with time. Because although we all experience the same time in a day, we don't all move in time in the same way. Some days, maybe, we're aware enough to live with a kind of wonder and amazement and a real inclination to like love our neighbor as ourselves. But other days, we're overrun. We're bombarded by anxiety, by fear. We're looking ahead and ahead and ahead. Or maybe some of you are kind of beyond looking ahead and you look back and you're overwhelmed by senses of like regret. And I wish I had done that time differently. Or maybe some of you are in a place where time, you're just bored by it. And you have this deep sense of boredom. The Jewish philosopher Abraham Joshua Heschel said that the holy or the consecrated person is the one who knows how to sanctify time. Think about that. The holy or consecrated person is the one who knows how to look at time and acknowledge its holiness, its set-apartness, its specialness. The question this morning is, how do we do this? How do we enter fully into the time that's right in front of us, this day, today, the one that the Lord made. How do we live holy time? The writer of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, has something to say about time. If 
you have your Bibles, turn there. Ecclesiastes is one of five of the books of the Bible that we call wisdom literature. Uh, It's a type of literature that pokes and prods and um, tries to sort of spur us to reflect, to think about life and from kind of like a big picture, broad perspective. It's a wisdom book. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a phrase that happens over and over. The word and phrase is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. When I hear that word, I think a purposeless, but that's not what the writer is talking about. When he says meaningless, what he means is everything is like a vapor. Everything is like slipping through his fingers. And as, as he reflects on life, he recognizes this really complicated relationship we have with time, that it feels as though things are slipping through his hands without being able to enjoy them or enter them fully. And then he comes to this chapter, this section in chapter 3, and there's this poem. Let me read it for you. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Now, in Ecclesiastes, there's a phrase under heaven and under the sun. And the idea of life under the sun is that like it's kind of directionless and purposeless. But the idea of life under heaven is that it's a life sort of submitted to God. And so he's talking about lives here that are submitted to God. Life under heaven. Life lived in the awareness of eternity. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to tear down and a time to build. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to get jiggy with it. There's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to search and a time to give up. There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. There's a time to tear and a time to mend. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. There's a time to love and a time to hate. There's a time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. There's so much that we could talk about in this text. There's so much that like my mind just pops and explodes when I read it. There's so many conversations we could have about really is there a time for, for hating? Really is there a time for war? Really is there a time for this? But it's interesting because 
what I find among a lot of Christian communities is that somewhere along the line, we developed the idea that this idea isn't true. We developed the idea that there actually isn't a time for mourning. That's not a part of the Christian life. We came up somehow with the idea that we ought to be immune from real human experience and suffering. Somewhere along the line, we chased and pursued and made comfort a God so that things like separation, well, there's not actually a time for that. And so, so many of us live with a sense of, of time being meaningless and purposeless because we don't see it as an integrated part of our lives. But the writer of this text lives in a way that affirms that everything belongs. All our experiences have a place in our lives and in who we're becoming. Everything belongs. Laughing, mourning, building, tearing down, searching, hoping, moving on, tearing and mending. There's even seasons where hate has time and a time and needs to be walked through. But the challenge that a lot of us have is that we face an inability to connect to this wisdom, the wisdom that affirms that everything belongs. We're disconnected from people who've done a lot more time and have learned how to master it. We look back and fester about experiences that we have, or we look forward and we become overwhelmed with worry and anxiety, and rarely do we stop. Seldom do we say, self, today you won't be bound by the fear of the future or regret of the past. Self, today is the day that the Lord made. It's as if we don't have time to step out of time to reflect on the season that we're in, to own it, and to live the reality that the writer of Ecclesiastes is encouraging us to embrace, the reality that everything belongs. So how do we do this? How do we cultivate time to reflect on time? How do we cultivate time to orient ourselves to this reality that everything belongs? How do we cultivate time so that we're rested and stopped from the anxiety of the future and the regret of the past? In the book of Beginnings, which is where we get the word Genesis, we read the creation account. As I read this text this week, a word popped that I had never seen before. God is creating, and after every day, what does he say? This is I'll try it again. God is creating, and after every day, he creates something, and he says, this is good. And then he creates humanity, and he says, this is very good. And then he does something on the seventh day. What is that? He rests. He stops. Now, Scott and I got into like an hour-long conversation about why God rests. It was awesome. But that's not what I want to talk about. 
he rests, and then he says the seventh day is also what? Good. No, what does he say? God rested on the seventh day and declared or made it holy. He rested on the seventh day and he declared that day set apart. God stopped. Now the the Hebrew word for stop is where we get our word for Sabbath, Shabbat. It's the stop day. God sets aside time from his work of creating that out of all the times he announces is holy. In a sense, it's like God steps out of time to reflect on the time that he had spent already. He steps out for a moment of his experience to look back, to reflect, to wonder. Some might even say to be refreshed. God steps out and reflects. He ceases and blesses that day. And he calls it holy. Now, to the Jewish people, this day, the Sabbath day, became more important to their identity, more important to who they were and to their calling. This rest was a declaration that we are not what we do. This day became even a more important sign than circumcision. It became a key identifier. The stop day was an affront to the nations of the world whose anxiety produced empires. This obsession to create, this obsession to build. Which leads us to this amazing confrontation in Exodus 5. Now, I wish I would have talked to Frankie and Steve earlier um, about this because they have some really, really cool perspective. And even this morning, we're correcting some of what I said. But in Exodus 5, there's this amazing encounter that Moses had. What did Moses go to Pharaoh with? What was his message initially? I always thought his message was, hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. Emancipate them. We don't want to be slaves anymore. If you read the conversation that Moses has with Pharaoh, that's not actually what the initial conversation is about. In Exodus 5, Moses goes to Pharaoh and listen to what he says. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Hey, Pharaoh, we need like three days off. Give us some time off. Moses and Pharaoh have an argument about vacation time. That blew my mind when I read that. That Moses went to Pharaoh and his request was, hey, we want to go throw a party to God in the desert. Can we do that? And Pharaoh's response is relentless. He goes crazy. He says this, the people are lazy. Moses and Aaron, why are you taking them away from their work? Get back to work. And he later removes straw and says, now I'm going to like make your work even harder. 
Pharaoh comes at them like with this anger and relentlessness because they have to get the job done. Pharaoh is at the top of this pyramid. It's a pyramid that doesn't bet. That's like a joke. That's a pun. He's at the top of this pyramid that doesn't benefit the people under him. And so at stake in other people's rest is his reputation. At stake in other people's rest is his wealth. At stake in other people's rest is his identity as a leader. And so Moses' request to let the people rest, to let them go have a festival, is a direct affront to his economy. Sound familiar at all? Anybody ever sought rest and had maybe like a slave driver of a boss? I know I do sometimes. <laughs> Joke. Pursued rest, and it came at like the expense of accusation. This is the challenge, carving out this time for refreshment and rest and recreation for the cultivation of holiness in our lives can be kind of rough, especially when your boss is Pharaoh. Now, you may not work for a literal Pharaoh. Obviously, none of you do. Maybe Stephen, Frankie, will something close to that. But, but we all have these things that sort of bind us. We all have these like anxiety-producing things that demand of us. We all have these things in our lives that require of us something and that it can be hard to break away from. You ever heard of, um, the phrase or thought about the phrase deadline? I have a deadline. Do you know where the phrase deadline comes from? It was like a Civil War phrase. So prisoners of war, when they were imprisoned, had this line. I don't know what color this is. I'm going to say red. Is it? I'm colorblind. Like the red line in front of me. Not if it's red. Okay. So they had a line. They couldn't get close to the wall. If they crossed that line, you know what happened? Bullet in the dome. Don't cross the line, the guards would say. If you do, it's your life. That's a deadline. Think about how, as culturally, we've taken that word to describe some of our activity, to describe our work. I have this line. If I cross that line, if I don't do it on time, we play out the scenario. I, I don't know what will happen. Maybe I'll get fired. Maybe my boss or friend or whoever will look down on me with, with resentment. Read it with me, Exodus 23. We are a people not so different than those slaves coming out of, ex, coming out of Egypt. We are a people who maybe aren't bound by a pharaoh, but we have these anxiety-producing experiences, relationships in our lives, things demanding of us. And sometimes if, if we don't create and cultivate space to stand outside of that and reflect on it, it can bind us and we can carry it around deep in our soul. Exodus 23 Listen to some of the ways that God was carving out time for his people. They stood at the base of, of these pyramids, sort of a mountain built to Pharaoh, and then God invites them to the desert, to Mount Sinai. And there he gives them a new command. 
a new way to be, no longer a people driven by sort of the anxiety that came with being slaves. But he says this, Take six, for six years you're to sow your fields and harvest the crops, but during the seventh year let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get, good, may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what they have. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the slave born in your household and the alien as well may be refreshed. Notice, rest isn't just about you. It's not just about me. Carving out space and time in our lives to push away the things that like drive anxiety and drive us, carving out time to push those away, it's about the animals it's about the land. It's about the relationship we, we have with those people that we oversee, the slaves that are, that are working within these households, carving out space, carving out time, pushing away the things that demand of us or the things from the past, the regret that weights our soul, pushing those away and carving that space and time out is not just about you. It's not just about me. It's about all of those things that God has given us care over. Bodybuilders like myself know this. You have to let your muscles rest, right? We have to. Right, Caleb? When we're working out and throwing baseballs, like pitchers have like a pitch count. It's like 100, right? And after 100, their arm starts to like, just break down too much. And the coach is like, you got to get him out and give him five days of rest. What a job, huh? Pitch for like two hours and then take five days off. They work in their off time, okay? They like, do stretches and stuff. But this is built into, the crea- into creation. Rest is not like an option. It's a requirement for growth. Rest is not like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll take a day off here and there. Rest is built into who we are. We break down, and in order to be built up, there has to be some space that we've carved out to say, that anxiety, that regret, that fear, I'm not going to carry it in this space. Ultimately, Jesus, in Matthew 10, invites people. They had traded in one sort of obsessive ruler for another. They had traded sort of the slavery of Egypt with the slavery of, like, religion. And so now they were bound by a different kind of oppression and obsession, and it had to be in following the laws to a T, It had to be in making sure that they dotted every I and and crossed every T. And Jesus says, Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, those of you who are burdened. Come to me, those of you who carry that anxiety. And I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His yoke is is this teaching. His yoke is, is what we say yes to when we say, Jesus, I want to confess that your way is different 
than the slavery of religion or the slavery of Egypt. I want to confess that you invite me into this life that says, I'm going to carve out space where I don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worry of its own. I'm going to carve out this space where I don't inflict damage on myself about things that I did in the past, yesterday, the day before that, 10 years ago, 30 years ago. I'm going to step into the reality that you invite me to be free of those things, that you invite me to believe that you have broken the chains, the chains that tie me to like constant anxiety about this or about that. It's been said that if we have one leg in the future and one in the past, we're not leaving a whole lot for the present. We're not leaving our best for what's in front of us. I know what some of you are saying. Yeah, but isn't work like a gift? Isn't work a good thing? And I want to say, yes, absolutely. We are called to enjoy our work. That's at some level what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying. Absolutely. But it's interesting to note that that rest, it's not rest without work. We have people in this congregation that can say, man, when I'm not working, I just feel all out of sorts because we're not following sort of this rhythm of work and rest and work and rest. And I want to say, yes, absolutely, I agree. But in order to live into that work with meaning and with purpose, in order to sort of step out of the anxiety, in order to sort of be almost like above it and what it demands of us, in order to not be ruled by it, we have to step out of it. We have to continue cultivating rhythms of rest and recreation and refreshment into our lives. A while back, um, I heard a story about somebody who received a diagnosis and they were called into the hospital and they sat with their doctor and heard the news and the doctor just watched them. And, um, and he was sort of like, no, no reaction, no like overwhelming. And this person used a phrase, and I don't remember like even who it was, but this phrase is what stuck with me. Um, this person said, I've been training for this my whole life. I've been training for this moment my whole life. I've been practicing this rhythm of like stepping out and reflecting on my life and considering the goodness and the providence and love of God in all my activity. I've been practicing like breaking the chain of anxiety and worry that want to consume me for the future and just trying to live every day as though everything belongs and every experience that I encounter is an opportunity for me to witness to the goodness and providence and love of God in my life. I've been training for this. So how do we train? How do we cultivate rhythms of rest and refreshment that can be good not just for us, but for the world? Three things. Number one, be honest about the season and time that you're in. I learned that from some friends this week. Be honest about the season and the time that you're in. If you're in a time of transition and it's confusing and it hurts like a banshee, call it that. We don't need plastic people. 
The process of holiness comes about only through an honest assessment of where we really are. If you're angry about someone that hurt you 40 years ago, you cannot grow still connected and attached to that. We have to be honest about where we really are. This week at our staff meeting, we had this beautiful conversation about forgiveness and how it's so hard to be honest about where we really are. We want to tell ourselves lies that we're okay, that we're going to be just fine. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be fine. Yes, you are, but you can't be unless you walk through the pain and you walk through the reality of where you really are. I'm angry about this. I'm hurt about this. I'm worried about this. Number one, we have to be honest about the season that we're in. Number two, as a community, I would love for us to continue talking more and more about how we carve out time in our day, in our week, in our month, in our year. How we carve out space that's holy. Time that's holy. Love hearing about people. There was a a friend uh, a few years ago who said, every month, it's on my calendar, every month I set aside a day, I drive into the mountains, and I just like sit, and I rest, and I pray, and I read. I just allow God to refresh me. I break off any anxiety. Anybody that has to have a meeting that day, I just tell them no. One of the most powerful words for carving out times in our life is the word no. Or maybe not right now. Those of us with young kids, like, I want to do everything. And what I'm recognizing, I wanted to go on this high school trip with our students, and my family had this thing that I, I really had to be home for, but I was really considering, like, I really want to go. It's my last thing with, with the, like, it was about me, right? I want to be on this trip. And God was like, not right now. There might be another season of trips when you're, like, retired or whatever, but not right now. Like, your kids, this is your responsibility, so no, just no. And I found so much freedom and rest in that. Two, let's continue talking about the rhythms of rest that we take, the rhythms of time and space that we create in our lives that allow us to be refreshed. Please share them. I will totally use them as sermon illustrations without blasting your name. Number three, um, for those of you not working anymore, this maybe doesn't apply to you, but for those of you that are still like in a, you still have a job or whatever, um, take all your vacation time. The word vacate means to leave a place that was previously occupied. For those of you that are no longer in a job, I want to invite you to take vacations from things like worry about your finances or your kids. Take vacations from rest. I'm sorry, take vacations. (laughs) Don't take vacations from rest. Take vacations from things that burden you. Give yourself like a day. Just set it up. Be like, hey, today is a vacation day. I'm going to leave a place that was previously occupied. Today I'm just going to be like, Jesus, today is the day. Uh, There was this theologian who was asked, describe Jesus to us in 10 words or less. He said, I could do it in one. Relax. Relax. People of God, the invitation as a follower of Jesus Christ is to rest in him. It's to find our purpose and our satisfaction with him. 
It's to not allow the anxiety and worry of the future or the regrettable things of the past to define who we are. But in him, to relax. Will you join me in prayer? God, today we thank you for this time, for today. It's a day that you have made, and we will look it square in the face and rejoice in it. Lord, we acknowledge that as your people, we're inclined to run, we're inclined to hide. God, as your people, we're inclined to not take an honest assessment of our lives. Lord, we're inclined to define ourselves by our work and what we can produce. Thank you for the invitation to rest. Thank you for your yoke, which is easy, and your burden, which is light. We pray that you would give us the courage to say no. Give us the wisdom for what we should say yes to. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.